Carnivorous couch It happens once a week It swallows us for two hours When we try to sleep It forces us to watch a film About which we then speak Carnivorous couch With Brady and Rob Hey everybody, hey everybody, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Carnivorous Couch, the film podcast, where we do a film a week from two film geeks. This podcast is spoiler full, we're about to tell you everything that happens in this week's movie, which is No Country for Old Men from 2007. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Great year. I'm a, I am a religious zealot for the year 2007. Are you? Yeah. Promise? Yeah, oh, I think you know. I don't I'll know. convert you. I don't know about that, man. Step into this room. Put on these little gizmometers. I'm going to check your 2007 Thetan levels. Okay. Well, here's the thing. We did this movie. <laughs> yeah. I really like this movie. That's why I wanted to do it so much. But there's a problem with movies that we really like. It's hard to have good discussion about them as easily. Well, I don't know. There's, uh, we can talk about what we like. Since if there's enough that we like, that can be substantive. Well, I think in advance of, you know, going to be able to watch this, um, I didn't like it as much as I thought I was going to. I'm sorry. Well, th there's always an adjustment, you know, especially with things that are highly, highly acclaimed, where you'll have viewings where you're kind of, you know... You t tinker with the, with how much you like a thing. Well, I worked hard to like it. How about that? Uh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'll do the plot synopsis, which is the first thing, and as you know, we're totally pumped to go straight into the content. Oh, so pumped. I don't know, I expected you to say more there, but then you... Go ahead. Then you didn't. Okay, we open with a voiceover from Tommy Lee Jones. Who plays... You know, I never got the name of the guy. I know his last name is Bell. I got you. It's Ed Tom Bell. Ed Tom Bell. He's got like three names. Yeah, like a real Texan. Well, at any rate, Ed opens with a voiceover of him. He's talking about putting a boy in the electric chair because he knew he was going to kill someone. He'd do it again. He just knew he was going to hell. And if he let him out, he would kill somebody else too. In other words, the monologue is talking about how there is evil in this world. But we'll get to that more later when we do... You know, what's it all about? We see the most brutal murder of the film where this sheriff's deputy gets, uh, or maybe it's a sheriff, he gets strangled by this guy known as Anton Sugar. Searching for sugar. Uh-huh. Very good. Yeah, that is, <laughs> he gets choked out with handcuffs. No, it's not like sugar, though. But, uh, yes, um, then he pulls somebody over with a police car. Mm -hmm. And he kills him with a pneumatic cylinder that they use to kill cows. We see that. <laughs> we do. Next, Josh Brolin is hunting. He wounds a gazelle. And then he finds a bunch of trucks in the desert, and a bunch of dead bodies, and a sack of money, and a man asking for agua. He takes the money and a couple of the guns. He goes home to Kelly McDonald, who uh, her name is Carla Jean. And then... In the middle of the night, after getting the money and blah blah blah, he decides, "All right, I'll go bring the guy water." And then when he does, there's these two executive men with 
Javier Bardem. Mm -hmm. And they're checking out what happened with this whole cartel shooting thing. Blah, blah, blah. And Bardem plays Anton Sugar. Yes. Oh, I meant Anton Sugar is what I meant to say. But yes, played by Javier uh, Bardem. Um, then, uh, New Allen makes it home after he escapes them. He has to shoot a dog, which is sad. Um, Tommy Lee and a deputy investigate the murder scene and find Javier Bardem's burned car. Because Javier Bardem has burned the car that he took from the guy who he killed with a pneumatic cylinder. Then, now it's going to get... So that's the setup, everybody, and now it's going to get a little more brief because we can talk about the details later. So here we go, Javier Bardem, Anton Chigurh, goes looking for Lou Allen. He's not home. The sheriff follows Fortley after, the milk's still sweating, he just missed him. Lou Allen goes to a hotel, takes some money, hides the rest in the hotel air duct, and then... Yeah, he gets a little walking around money. Uh, Anton Chigurh... Uh, tracks down the suit suitcase with the tracking device. He arrives at the same hotel as Lou Allen. Uh, at this point, Lou Allen has sent uh, Carla Jean to her mom's house um, outside Dallas. In Odessa. In Odessa, which is outside Dallas. I don't know how... It might not be, like, just outside Dallas, but it's definitely not in Dallas. So I'm not wrong when I say it's outside Dallas. I, I believe you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I just know it's not in Dallas because it's a different town. Um, <laughs> uh, then we meet Woody Harrelson, who's Carson Wells. And uh, he's, uh, they kind of go like, uh, dude, Anton's gone off, off the reservation. Uh, can you go bring him in? So he's mm -hmm. on his way to go bring him in and get the money back and kind of tie up the loose ends. So yeah, what is he's like a bounty hunter. Yeah, I mean, he's just somebody else who works for them, just... Like, do you get the sense, do you think Carson Wells does killing as well? Or is he more just like a collect-the-bounty type of guy? Because he, he and Anton are like professional contemporaries. They know each other on a first-name basis. I think they just both do the same job for this organization. Okay. Different tools, Yes, as Anton might put it. We'll get to that later. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Um... Anton Shigura, <laughs> I've written Segura for a lot of this instead of Shigar, um, like Tommy Segura's brother. <laughs> Close, <laughs> but no Shigar. Yeah. Finds Shigar, um, would be a better way to put it. He finds Lou Allen in the hotel, a shootout occurs. Lou Allen wings Anton, Lou Allen then escapes and goes to Mexico. He throws the money in the creek at the border and goes to Mexico for Medico. As in uh, medicine. Uh, Javier Abraham blows up a car and steals some pills and the medical equipment to mend his wounds. Then we're back to Tommy Lee, who's on his way to Odessa to go see the wife and her mom. Uh, Wells, which is the uh, Carson Wells character, visits Lou Allen in the hospital, warns him, tells him to give up the money, and he'll protect him. Wells does not do that. So, Wells then finds the satchel. Anton catches up with him. Anton kills Wells. Lou Allen talks to Anton on the phone, says he's coming for him. Lou Allen crosses the border. Anton kills his employer for not for giving the Mexicans a, a receiver as well, so they actually were also able to find the satchel. And uh, then Anton kills a guy, 
goes to El Paso. Mexicans and him simultaneously shoot up the hotel where um, Llewellyn is to meet Carla Jean and her mom to send them off to a safe place with the money. Um, <laughs> they got the information by sweet-talking Carla Jean's mom. Um, mm-hmm. The Mexicans did, at least. Uh, the sheriff goes to the hotel on a hunch that Anton is there after the, all of this stuff has occurred. Llewellyn's been killed. It all happens off screen, but uh, we're told of it. Yep. Um, Anton is there, but the sheriff doesn't really have an encounter with him. Well, I'd say that's... See, that one's debatable to me. I think he might almost... It might almost be like a poetic thing of like, he could be there, like lurking in the shadows, because then he opens the door and the room's empty. Yeah, it could have been the room next door, though. There were several of them with the... It could have been. I, I'm just saying, I read that particular... But the locks were blown off on several doors, and he only entered one, so he could have um, just... It, to me, it's like the coin toss, where it's like he chose this door instead of that door. No, that, well, that's but interesting. We'll, we'll get to that. Okay. Um, we see a shot. How about this? This is a plot synopsis. Here's what we see in the plot. We see a, a shot of... Javier Abedem's character, Anton Shaker, in the hotel room with a gun. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, Carla Jean's mom does some time later when she arrives home. Anton Shaker is there. He kills her, and then Anton gets into a car accident and survives and walks away. Uh, yeah, and he... And then we end with buys another... Buys a shirt from some kids to make a splint. Or a sling. Yes, but I didn't really deem that as important, uh, unless we were going to mm. talk about that scene particularly. I'm trying to keep the plot synopsis brief, dear listener. I'm trying real hard. Um, <laughs> and then uh, then we end with uh, Tommy Lee Jones, Belle, uh, character, talking about his dreams. This time, not in voiceover, but we just see his face telling his wife at the, uh, at the dinner table. Yeah. Or breakfast table. Yeah. Or some sort. They're eating some sort of. They're not even be eating. They're sitting at the table together. Yeah, you know, drinking coffee. It's it's the first day of his retirement. Indeed. So that's all what happened, and um, the next segment that we do is this one. Hey, hey, hey! How do we like it? Okay, I'm going to let you go first on how do we like it, Brady, because I want to go first on what's it all about. Okay. Um, I love it. I love this movie. I, I believe it's my second favorite Coen's. Um, and as to the why do I love it, uh, it is just a top-to-bottom masterclass of filmmaking. Um, you know, it's just some of the most, like, tersely edited work this is one of the great suspense thrillers and it has so much else going for it but just on a technical level of just ratcheting up suspense uh, this thing I think is incredible it has you know the way that a lot of good films have of relaying a lot of information without dialogue which I love because then at the same time this is you know an incredibly literate and very deep text from uh you know, from the very nihilistic author Cormac McCarthy, one of the few uh, instances that I can name of the Coens doing an adaptation, a real honest-to-God adaptation, I put a little asterisk uh, next to O Brother, which is loosely based on the, uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, but, 
you know, textually, I, I would say is not. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's a fascinating uh, step forward for them because they are, uh, the Coens are not only great writers, they write for other people as well. So usually with a Cohen film, you're going to get them doing their own script. And so this was interesting to have them taking on a very beloved novel, but uh, finding a lot of their uh, their tics and you know their preoccupations in it. Well, yeah, and then also placing it in you know just the Hollywood entertainment timeline. It makes sense mm-hmm. that they would want somebody to do this book. This was shortly after The Road came out, right? Um, this was probably 05. It comes before the road oh, okay. film. I don't know about the book. Also a Cormac McCarthy book. Uh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes, that is correct. Um, and also, in a way that almost barely tracks, if you're not paying attention, this is a period piece. Uh, the year of this movie is 1980. Yeah, okay. I, I, I figured as much with all the cards and such for that age. But, you know, it's also weird when you're doing kind of out in... You know, the middle of the country. You mm-hmm. go like, maybe the cars are older because people don't really buy a new one that often. Right. <laughs> like, not like us city folks on the West Coast in Silicon Valley where you see Teslas everywhere. I bet you you don't Absolutely. see a Tesla at all in the middle of Texas. Like, these tiny Texas towns, you could fully believe, I think, that, that they still look like this to this day. Because these are just little pockets away from the big cities. I don't think we, we... We see one big city, right? El Paso, and that's it. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I haven't traveled... Uh, for a while. Uh, me neither. And uh, Funny. certainly not this year. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not in these great United States of uh, virus hood. Um, <laughs> we gotta we gotta keep, uh, keep dating ourselves. Can, keep dating ourselves. You're keep gonna go to the middle of West Texas. Well, I hope to God this is dating ourselves because if. It's just a normal thing, and in five years, they're like, huh, this could have been in 2020 or 2025, that would suck. Uh-huh. I've tried dating myself. I We didn't click. No one clicks with you, Brady. <laughs> Except me. Me, uh, I do. <laughs> I, I love you, bestie. I, I love, love you too, buddy. Uh, so, oh wait, but I, I kind of, I guess, got off on a lot of subtext there, didn't I? Uh, I love this movie. I give it an A. Um, I just think... It's one of those ones that's like, to really get it why I love it is going to come up more in a thematic context, but the fact that like it has these deep themes, and then also just as like a muscular piece of craftsmanship is unimpeachable. Um, the only thing it lacks, and there's a good reason for that, is basically any score uh, to write home about. They, they get their main guy, Carter Burwell, who may be my favorite living composer, um, and he does it, but his score is mostly just ominous, you know, dun, 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 because the real point of this thing is to let silence do the work. It's a film that's very based around its sound design and, you know, when, when gunshots and, uh, you know, the lock getting fired out the door. And telephones. Yeah, when that stuff telephones comes in. Telephones kind of doing a thing where it goes like, bring, you know, and you jump scare kind of. Uh, in yeah, they smartly know that that would not work if there was music, however beautiful, in the background. Uh, but, yeah, on every single level, uh, including the acting, just this thing is such a Swiss watch of, of craftsmanship. That's a Swiss army man of a film. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did I get you? Uh, you I, I got gotcha. you. 
I believe Shigur could use a corpse for any purpose he saw fit. Yeah, probably. Um, yeah, okay. I like this movie. Um, I liked it a lot more in memory than I did when I watched it just now. Um, I kind of thought of it as a lot more symbolic. I remember uh, towards the end of it, I was talking to you about a shot I thought was in there. Mm -hmm. Like, I thought there was like this weird, wistful, dreamy shot when he was describing the the dream of his father. Right. And and there wasn't. Uh, no. There wasn't there. I I imagined that. I think I fell asleep in the theater when I was first watching it, and I was still hearing the dialogue, but I kind of, you know, remember that. But at any rate, um, so... No, it's a fairly straightforward film um, when, you know, expositing what's happening on the screen and this and that. Uh, I guess there's some interesting things that they do with putting colors or lack thereof, I guess light or lack thereof, around um, the characters to sort of align them. Um, There's a cool thing they do where they kind of don't show you things that happen, or they show you things that happen less and less. Um, I've got a point on that, which I think I've brought up in a previous uh, podcast, but I'll still bring it up again when we're doing What's It All About. Um, anyway, B+. Plus. B+. Plus. B+, plus, okay. Uh, for, it used to be an A, but uh, on rewatch, it's a B+. Plus. Okay, okay. Did you give your letter grade? Uh, yeah, I give it an A. Okay. I, I didn't hear you say that out loud. I, I knew that was going to be the letter grade. I will say, so, um, moving on to whatever we're moving on to now, I kept a death count um, <laughs> as I watched <laughs> it. I kept tallies here. Um, out of 20 total deaths, 14 of them were done by Anton Sugar. Pretty good numbers, respectable numbers. Yeah, no, it's, it's on nearly three quarters of the death in the world. Uh, yeah, he's a good earner. Uh, wh- what are the other deaths from? Oh, I guess the shootout. Huh? Yeah, there's the shootout. Where like the Mexicans or somebody shot somebody. There's uh, yeah, mostly just like uh, Mexicans shooting somebody or yeah, I guess that's just it. There were four people killed by Mexicans. Yeah, one person killed by cancer. The cancer. Yeah, I didn't actually put that part in there. Uh, yeah. I I didn't count that death. What about, do you count Carla Jean's? Yes, I do. Yeah. It's ambiguous, but but I think is well, also... Well, you will hear from me how it's not ambiguous. Uh, should we do understudy and then do uh, what's it all about, or, or what are we, what um, are we Yeah, we'll do understudy. Okay. Um, are you going to be the first person or the second person in this understudy? Uh, first. Okay, I'm going to be the second person. Alrighty, listen up, folks, here we go. We're so sorry we couldn't get the actors to do the scene from this screenplay, but we've got two understudies, and to be honest, they're probably more famous anyway, so... Try to guess the actors, try to guess the movies Tweet us at C-A-R-N-Y couch This game called Understudy Is happening, happening, happening right now They look good Want a couple? Just the 10,000 will be fine 
Got something for me, first dead. Huh? So it would seem. What did you... What did you do with the bodies? It's taken care of. The less you know, the better. Jesus, I... I don't believe it, folks. I think I'm gonna be sick. I'll want that picture back. And you did say something about money. Your money, yeah. Something I've got to ask you, Marty. I've been very, very careful. Have you been very, very careful? Of course. Nobody knows you hired me. Don't be absurd. I, I was about to tell anyone this is an illicit romance, folks. We've got to trust each other to be discreet uh, for richer, for poorer. Oh, don't say that. Your marriages don't work out so hot. How did you cover the money? Quote, it's taken care of. The less you know about it, the better. I just made a call about that. It'll look fine, folks. I must have Unquote. done money simple. This kind of murder, it's too damn risky. Then you shouldn't have done it. Can't have it both ways. Can't count it if you want. I, nah, I trust ya. Bang! <laughs> Who looks stupid now? That was undecided. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Uh, that one got away from me, I'm gonna say. Unquote. <laughs> I was hoping that you would pick up that I was gonna do that. At any rate, everybody, uh, as the theme song says, um... Uh, that was understudy. That was understudy. Tweet us your answer at C-A-R-N-Y couch. Tell us what movie that's from or what voices we're doing if yeah. you can possibly dare to figure out that uh mine was so bad at this point that it's no one's gonna guess it uh yeah mine was a bad choice for the part i was doing so it was really hard to kind of get the cadence yours was good though i i could tell who you were well yeah, i told you and i, I can't even tell who i was <laughs> me neither I don't know either. Don't say it out loud this time. <laughs> Not even just the last name. <laughs> I can't believe you did that last time. Mm, yeah. Oh, wait, no, you didn't. You you, you were mentioning Kristen Stewart. I wasn't doing Kristen Stewart. For all of you who tweeted me saying that I was doing Kristen Stewart, you were wrong. Uh, especially you, Kristen Stewart. <laughs> Kristen Stewart's never wrong. Oh, that's true. Rob, I know you were doing with you were doing me. It's impossible. The only way to do a Stuart impression is to play with my hair, and obviously that's not going to show up on the audio. No, you can play with your hair. You can be I, in Snow White and walk through a forest and get your clothes all torn up. As you you got to stammer a bit. You bite your lip. I love Kristen Stewart, by the way. Everybody loves Kristen Stewart. I, I, I say, damn like, it, if you don't. Those two Twilight kids are killing it. Everyone made fun of them, and now they're like, they're both so good. Robert Pattinson, have you seen The Lighthouse yet? No. You would like. It's a mind fuck. Is that is that like the the one about the island? Uh, no, I'm thinking Shutter Island. Oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> With DiCaprio. Yeah, there's a lighthouse in that, though. Uh, there is. Um... Hey, Brady. Yeah. What's it all about? Oh, boy. What's it all about? Um, okay, so let me first say what the runner-up of what it's about is, because this is kind of the Coen brothers of it all. 
the thing that, you know, because as I say, they are working with another author's text. They're working with Cormac McCarthy's novel. But the old Cohen ideas about money and human frailty are very much here. So this is very much a story about, you know, you even quoted Fargo as we were watching it. The idea of, you know, what people will do, how they'll debase themselves for money, the folly of that uh, human fickleness when it comes to the shiny green stuff. Yeah, so that's one thing. Let me get to a thing, though, about it, because I know that you're going to have more to say on this, so I want to make sure you don't yeah, take you, my point. You go, but, but it is about that, but not... It's about something else that I will get to later even more. Okay, well, um, I'm going to say that this is about good, which is delineated by the protagonist, Belle, mm-hmm. and evil... Uh, which is Anton Chigurh, or also sometimes personified as life and death, or two sides of a coin. The coin gets here the same way that I did, mm-hmm. right, is one of the lines he says. Duality yeah. is mediated by Moss, uh, who has elements of both, being a, a fickle human and who's, who's, as you said, taken by money. He kills to protect life, but still cannot escape death. That's uh, my correct. That's my mission statement on... On what's this all about? Boom, boom, boom. I like that. I like that. Um, hey, but here's the thing. Let me let me feed off it here. Um, I think there's a bit of subversion going on. Ordinarily, I think you would have more of a struggle between good and evil in the personages, the personages, personages? of Anton Chigurh and Sheriff Ed Tom Bell. Good versus evil. The thing about this movie and why it is. Uh, it's a good thing it's so watchable and like incredibly made because when you get down to the meat of this story, it it is one of the most despairing uh, stories I can name because what it's about. And let me go back to that opening monologue because you know we've got these bookends uh, by Ed Tom giving speeches first about you know kind of how he started in law enforcement, how it's part of this family line, his father, his grandfather. Uh, and, you know, kind of how hopeful he was when he started. And then at the end, you get this this very uh, cryptic and dark dream that he dis- uh, that he discusses. Uh, so what it's about to me is what, what Ed Tom actually says is he feels outmatched. So instead of this being your standard good versus evil, it's actually about a man who got into the business he's in to try to do good and now is so overwhelmed by the amount of despair and violence in the world that he's kind of checked out. There's this recurring thing where he's in the, the diner and his you know, young deputy, uh, very well played by Garrett Hedlund, uh, keeps saying like, oh, you want to go back out to the crime scene? Yeah, you want to look for clues and be, be a detective sheriff? And he's like, no, I, I've seen the dead bodies. They're really disturbing. I, I think I'll have more coffee. Because, like, what's the point? Well, they've impacted me as well. Yeah. So it's about a man who's been shaken, like, and he's about to retire. And, you know, the unspoken thing, I think, is uh, uh, narratively important is this is his last case. It's the last thing he'll ever do in his profession that he used to feel so fondly about. Well, I mean, there's just no good to be taken from. It was his last case, but it wasn't initially set up like that. It just happened to be... By the time he got to the end of it, it wasn't like he was planning on retiring beforehand, right? I guess so, because I, I guess you get that scene, uh, maybe my favorite scene in the movie, where he visits his uncle, 
And it's at that point that it gets announced. Like, the uncle's like, your wife wrote me. I hear you're retiring. Why are you doing that? Because he feels outmatched. Because he feels outmatched. The frickin' Anton Chigurh guy got away with being an evil fuck. Uh, yeah, and just the world is just so thoroughly stacked with, like, horribleness that he can't even... He's being crushed by it. Well, yeah, and and they refer kind of to this with um, other people as well, right? Uh, there's the sheriff who he's sitting down with after um, Llewellyn has been killed in the shootout and says, like, sorry, I couldn't help help your man, you know? Mm-hmm. And the whole thing there was that, you know, he was kind of going like, the world's going to hell. I can't keep up with all this stuff. I never thought I'd see green-haired women walking down the street of my city? I didn't think I'd ever get here. Not in my lifetime, at least. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's part of the, the thing of feeling outmatched. You're just like, like everything's moving so fast or, or changing so much, there's no way in hell I could possibly figure out how this ought to be. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, and it's about, like, in a way, like, so it is about this very pessimistic take, but if you want to go like and apply it somewhere else, it's also just, I think, a film about aging, about getting to a point where what you thought you were, what you thought made sense, what you value gets entirely shaken up. And like in that way, it's, it's just in the title. It's a film about what it is to become old in a lot of ways. Okay, explain that to me because I don't get the title, actually. So I, I've always just been like, wait, is there no countryside for old men, or is there just no country where old men can live in? You got to go to a different country, but it doesn't exist. Like, what what are we doing with these old men? Are we just putting them in a soilent retirement? We better figure facility? it out. <laughs> like, yeah. Where are these old men going to go if there's no country they can be in? Please recycle your old men. Uh, no, I think um, I think it's uh, once again going back to my favorite scene, the scene with the uncle. I think gives you the clue to what it is, which is it's about America specifically and kind of, you know, America's, you know, a, a culture that's very rooted in violence, whether that be transformative good violence, cowboys, pew pew, or um, a much less toxic violence, which, which this film is kind of both. It's kind of destroying the cowboy myth a bit. Uh, you know, I think it's Texas setting is no accident in that respect. And what the uncle's saying is that uh, this country is can be so hard on people, as he says, that this isn't a country for the old. It's it's a country that wears you out. Like this is no place to, you know, uh, get old and ride into the sunset and have your glory years. It's about a man who's basically, you know, the real despair is Ed Tom is being robbed of his ability to think back on anything he's ever done in a nice way, to feel a redemption in any of it. Because he's just like, this is so horrible, like, all, all my little narratives, all my lawmaker, you know, lawman myths, they're all falling uh, impotently at my feet now because of what I'm actually seeing out in the world. And these old ways, he says in the beginning he used to love to hear the old timers talk, you know, love the old stories. And I think that is being threatened for him because he, he sees it all as a lie now. Well, I mean, okay. What does that have to do with the title? Um, <laughs> because this is, it's about uh, aging and that like this, this country, it's about becoming obsolete. That's what it is. It's like this country isn't for you. 
you, your way of thinking is so outdated and so not able to like meaningfully speak to what is going on. Things have shifted so much that, uh, yeah, this, this is no country for old men. Oh, I get it. <laughs> As opposed to like, like there is no country for old men. It's like this like, is no like a ban. <laughs> this is no country for for guys like me. It's okay, like now no loitering, no country for old men. <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to listen to. Uh, you you have to listen to to Nelly. Oh man, I guess I gotta listen to some oh, bebop. Wait, Nelly's not out. In, uh, you have to listen to Dead Kennedys. You cannot listen to country. But, but I like country. I'm a Texan. We like country a lot. Um, okay, so w- what do you think about the idea of... I, I feel like this is like a, a kind of clever little uh, trick they play on us, which... Okay, two things about what's shown and not shown. Mm-hmm. Um, one would be, I think in our, our prologue, right, where we have the guy who gets strangled. Right. And then the guy who gets, um, and then the car that gets blown up and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, this fits fine. Uh, I won't say that the prologue's different. I think that all, the, the, the entire story is told um, from the viewpoint of Bell. Uh, absolutely. Like, that he's actually the protagonist, and what we're shown is what he knows. Uh, yes, I, I agree. I mean, I wouldn't go quite so far. Like, I think the stuff with Llewellyn Moss um, is not, like, all in Bell's head. I think we are breaking away. But in every important respect, this is... I, I'll frame it the way I did before. This is the story of this man's last case and how it goes down and how that impacts him emotionally. Um, it Yeah, it is for sure Ed Tom's story. What the other side of it is... How do we even get uh, Carson Wells then at all? Because he never even has any it, kind of contact with him exactly, or even that's, knows of his existence. It just means, like, we'll not go so literal with it. Um, there are things that happen outside of Ed Tom's eyeline, but by the time this all gets shaken out, he's going to know kind of what happened. This is a, a very pivotal moment in his life and career, his last case. Right, and so... It being his last case and kind of how time treats these things. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my last case, the thing I can't stop thinking about or this and that. Um, I always thought that the way that things were selectively shown was uh, based on kind of... They show you the most violent thing first, right? Like him strangling the guy, he's kicking up a storm, he's scuffing up the floor with, with all his shoe marks and, and this and that. And it's very violent and goes on for a while. Mm-hmm. The next death is like, you know, he, he shoots him once with the little, up the side of the road with the little pneumatic cylinder. Right. And as we go on progressively, um, even though in actuality there's more death, we see less and less of it to the point where by the end, when he leaves uh, Carla, Carla Ann's place, we don't even see what he does. He just checks his shoes for blood. Right. And that's, that's, you know, that's the tiny little bit of yeah, I, I hear you. something Even happened there. I would say it stays violent pretty consistently in some ways because the, the deaths in the first hotel when he ends up in the wrong room is like, well, these guys are here. I need to shoot them now. Like, they get it pretty hard. 
Uh, and that's like very, you know, uh, unflinching shotgun. Sure. Uh, but I, what I'm saying is the, the, the idea is um, essentially that because the memory of violence kind of fades with time and it becomes more and more distant and, mm-hmm. and less and less in the front of your mind, all the stuff that you've experienced, that like, you know, they're kind of trying to mirror that with right distancing these things and stretching them out. It's like, oh, okay, so the, the most, um, you know, violence fades with time. Like, you, you can't ever escape this. It just affects you less and less okay. as time goes on. Which is kind of what his uncle was saying when he was talking to him. And he goes like, well, yeah, I heard that. Suppose that's true. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, it, everything becomes a story at a certain point. And there's even some mirroring to that with Bell when he's telling the story to Carla Jean and he's trying to figure out where Llewellyn's headed. Right. Um, did I get her name wrong? No, no, yeah. Norma Car- Jean. No, Carla Car- Jean. it's Carla. Carla Jean. Um, that, you know, at a certain point she goes like, is that story you told me true? And he kind of goes, well, it's, it's a story. I mean, it happened. It's not a hundred percent. I wouldn't say every detail is perfect, but it's a story. So like, you know, as things kind of fade in memory and go along also, they become less and less true and more and more just, uh, something that you've iterated. Right. Um, yeah, and I think this movie is doing an interesting thing with storytelling. Uh, I'll come back to it and say that like it's it's kind of about uh, the limit of storytelling as a way to make sense of the world. You know, those old stories that used to sustain him are becoming less valuable. Uh, his dreams, even though he tells these dreams at the end, the ending takeaway is, and then I woke up. So it's... It's him saying, like, I had this these nice dreams about meeting my father in the afterlife. One day I'll see him again. Uh, but the ending takeaway, you know, our last line isn't the image of the dream and the hope of, of uh, reuniting with lost loved ones. It's, well, then, the dream ended. It's, it's a dream. It's not reality. Yeah, that's a good capper. Uh, you want to do Metacritical? Uh, yeah, and it's, would you... Uh, Help me. I, I want to do a little performance ranking later. Can we pull up an IMDb on this sucker? Well, yes, but after the, the medical. Oh, uh, yes, yes, no. <laughs> because I need this computer for the medical. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Yes. And and we'll have to switch places. <laughs> because. Oh, yeah. Shit, I need my phone. That's what I really need. Yeah. Well, too late now. Too late, late now. No phone for your performance ranking. What not. Dibbity do. You will suffer. No, I think I can just pick up the thing and move it over. Don't worry, we'll figure it out. At any rate, uh, intro, right? A Metacritical Rob's never gonna win A Metacritical Brady's the victor again Woo-hoo. So it's time to play Woo-hoo. I'm gonna lose today Metacritical, yeah, it's time Ah, yes, Metacritical, where we try to guess the Metacritic score of five films, and then whoever's closest overall wins. Indeed. Uh, Let's start with uh, The Rock. The Rock. 
Yes, I'm, go, I'm going with Ed Harris because I just, I just feel like like thinking about Ed Harris movies. Cool. <laughs> um, oh, then I know where I'm going next. Oh. Um, Why? Because you already know one of the scores. No, I don't know. I don't think I know the score. Yeah, I right. just saw it recently. Okay, what do you think The Rock's rated at, Brady? I think The Rock is rated at like a 67. Uh, I was going to go 65. So, let's see what happens when I search for The Rock. Dirty Rock? No. Okay, that is exactly the title, Metacritic. <laughs> I'm I'm certain that that's the title. The Rock. Well, it looks like maybe they don't have The Rock in their database. I don't believe it. Um, is it giving you a bunch of The Rock movies? Oh, there it is. The answer is 58. Oh, well. That you puts me in the lead. You are in the lead. All right. You know where you're going to go next, do you? Do you? Or did it change because now Actually, you're you know screwed? What? No, I'm not going to go there because maybe I do know. <laughs> I can't tell. Um, okay, fine. Let's go uh, The Truman Show. The Truman Show? Okay, yeah. Ed Harris was in that. Mm-hmm. Ed Harris probably should have been in Ed TV. Because yeah. his name's Ed. His name's Ed. He gets first right of first refusal on that kind of stuff. Okay, so The Truman Show is a very good movie, and I would put it, like, in the 88 range, but I'm not going to guess 88, because Metacritic is always substantially below mm-hmm. what I think it is. So, 72. Okay. I'll go 79. Speaking close to me, eh? All right. Truman Show! 90. Hello. Fuck. It's, uh... Now I just lost seven points, so I'm five points under. Damn it. All right, it's you. I wish I would have gone with my idea of 88, because that's what I think that oh. show is at. Yeah. Why does I should have gone Why does too. Metacritic do this to me? Uh, they, they hate you. They want you to suffer. They do. Okay, Apollo 13. Apollo 13. Um. Contended with Braveheart for the... Uh, for the Oscar. Uh, Oscar in 1995. Yeah. Ron uh, Howard directs Ed Harris accident. So does Gary Sinise, where, you know, back when Gary Sinise was acting and not disappearing off the face of the earth, which is weird. Where are you, Gary Sinise? I like you. Uh, is he still on CSI? He got a CSI. Oh, he got a show of the week? Like, but that was years ago, so it's... That, that's the problem. Those shows go on forever, um, and it's okay if you like those shows, but my problem with like legacy shows is actors then just end up doing that um, for too long, and it's like, uh, let Sinise do some other stuff, and not like twelve years of network TV. Well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you about that. But. Um, get me Gary fucking Sinise on the phone. I'll talk to him. I'll put the sense into him. Okay, uh, Apollo 13, I'll go 85. Brady says 85 for Apollo 13. I'm going to I'm gonna take a gamble and put it higher like, like I did the Truman Show. Not really, though. And say 88. <laughs> Apollo 13 with numbers. 77. Okay. What did you say? 85. 
God damn it. I lost three more points. Now I'm under eight. Still close, though. Yeah, just because we're putting our numbers close together. That's the only reason it's close. <laughs> uh, that, yes, that is true. Your turn to pick a movie. Uh, okay, Gary Sinise. Wait, now what Gary Sinise movies do I know? Snake Eyes. Snake. I feel like we've done that before. Probably. Yeah, no. Okay, I gotta go another way. Forrest Gump. Bill Paxton. Bill. And I cannot stress this enough. Paxton. Bill Paxton is in... Now, I know the score to that one. That's not fair. I was going to say Edge of Tomorrow. Um, Independence Day? I don't think he's in that. That's Bill Pullman. That is Bill Pullman. Okay. Uh, let's go Aliens. Aliens. Ooh, that's tricky. That's tricky. It's tricky to rock around that clock. Trick, 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 trick. 80. That sounds pretty good. I'll go with an 80... Don't go more than seven away from me, and I you know. always win. Uh, 84. Okay. Watch it be like 92. Aliens. Come on, Ridley, don't fail me now. This page isn't working. The page just told Rob to stay away from her, you bitch. What does that mean? 84. Oh, yeah? Is the answer. I bullsied. What, you did? Uh, yeah. I said 80, right? Yeah. God damn it. Even when I'm doing well, you're still beating me. And you've, like, gotten very close lately, I feel like. Um, very close indeed. Okay, let me do a tally at this point while you pick. What, I'm off by 13? Well, let's see. Let's while just I pick, I pick the last movie. While you juke the points over there and change my scores, because this to make me even worse I know off. I know you like to have you know a <laughs> view to the strategy. Yeah, I know. So, I understand. so you're 17 points behind. 17. Yes. Yeah, I thought it was like nine points behind. Well, you got the that one 18. Okay. Okay. Fine. I didn't do well on that one either. I okay. Got an 11. Okay. 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 So I'm 17 points behind. What's the thing I can get a 17-point split on? Jumanji. Wait, uh, the old one? The one from 1995. Okay. With Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give that sucker a 58. All right. Okay. You put me between a rock and a hard place here. So I can give it... 74. And then if I'm right, we tie. Or I win. Jumanji. Exciting. Jumanji. Movie. 39. Oh, good, you know... God damn it, I was thinking about going 17 points the opposite direction. And that would have... That would have been good. Uh... Yeah, my oh. hot take is Jumanji is dumb. Yeah, I know, but but that would have been good, right? What uh, if I yeah. had done that? What'd you pick for Jumanji? 58. 58. And if I had gone th uh, 17 points the opposite direction, I would have been at uh, 41. Fuck. Um, yeah. 
So you have a 75, I have a 42. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. Fine, let's go do the thing. Let's go back to the Metacritical outro where I can tell you to fuck yourself in stereo. Fuck you. (laughs) Fuck yourself in stereo. That is an album title. Okay, um, you got more scenes you want to talk about in this movie? I I do. Th- see, th- here's what I like about this movie. I just think it's all good scenes. And, like, and I find this movie to be very deep, but, like, it's the kind of movie, um, <laughs> you know, I'll bring up, like, Mad Max Fury Road, a very different movie, but where uh, it's entirely possible to just get off on the exquisite technical pleasures of it and, like, how much work went into arranging it. It's, it's a movie that's very much made by its editing. Uh, edited by Roderick Janes. Rob, do you know who Roderick Janes is? He edits every Coen Brothers movie. Roderick James, bitch. He's actually the Coen Brothers. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so anytime you see Roderick Janes, it's those two. Um, but yeah, so like, I just think it's it's so viscerally perfect in like, how it combines image, sound, like, acting dialogue. Wait a minute. Is Roderick Drames an anagram for Ethan Joel? Uh, there's no L in it. No L. Okay. I don't know how they came up with it. Uh, (laughs) I'm shaking my head. You guys can all see this. He's shaking his head very hard. I feel like there was a movie recently where, uh, where we talked about this, where, like, things are like so bad that it almost becomes funny because this is like from from pretty close inspection probably one of the less funny cohen movies it's a very somber very fatalistic tale but one spot where i kind of found the humor that wasn't an outright joke is when the dog jumps in the river and it's just that feeling of like holy shit like how much worse can this get (laughs) <laughs> like, why? Well, I, I was just kind of like, man, how they train the jo- the dog to want to kill him that bad? Oh, and he does such a great dog leap. He turns into like a little cannonball. That dog rules. It's a shame he had to die. Yes. What if he had killed Llewellyn and then became the protagonist of the movie? I like the scene where where Woody Harrelson gets his assignment, and he tells him that one of the floors is missing. Is that like a dad joke? Uh, no, I think the, the floor missing thing, because, like, if you see the building from the outside, it's seven or eight stories high, so it's not mm-hmm. the 13th floor. It's basically just, like, I looked at the n- the numbers on the on the thing, and, yeah, okay, obviously you've made it so the fourth floor isn't accessible okay. by the elevator. Okay, <laughs> that's the part I've never gotten before. Um, yeah, because yeah, there's some, like, cartel shit going on in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, then you're probably right. I like that scene. Uh, I like that scene, too. I, I like all the Harrelson scenes. It's a shame he had to die. That was kind of anticlimactic. Well, that's... See, that's... Okay, that's something to talk about with this. Is, like, this is also about... Uh, which drove, like, mainstream... Some mainstream audiences crazy. It's about the withholding of any kind of redemption or payoff... You know, I bet I bet I can pinpoint two scenes where the audience must have lost its shit. One obvious one is 
Llewellyn dies off screen and we just get to like look at his lifeless body. And then a little bit after that, after the scene in the restaurant with the green hair guy, uh, he goes back to the hotel room and, you know, we see the image of Shigur waiting there in the dark and Jones is on the other side of the hotel room door. And that's exactly the moment where I think mainstream audiences were probably like, yes, all right, showdown. And now it's going to be a showdown. And then he opens the door and nothing. Yeah, or maybe he's just behind the door. So this and movie he never bothered to look. Anticlimax <laughs> is this movie's tool. It's like, no, it's, you're making too big of a thing of it. Because this movie's take on death is like, it's not exciting. It's not sexy. Death is like, you know, sad and gross and ugly. That, and like, I love the way they handle death in this. These are some dead looking dead guys. No Hollywood gloss here. No CSI shiny corpses. These people are like uh, dusty and bloody and just the attention to detail. And all of this is to be like, no, death is just like sad and fucked up and everywhere. And like, because we were meant to understand why this is eating at Ed Tom. Nothing, he's not able to spin it in any way that gives it a feel-good sense to it. It's just senseless, pervasive death. Well, that's the whole thing about the, the coin toss thing that he sort of does, where he's, you know, it's it's the only time Anton Shigur gives this up to the universe, um, because he essentially has a code which is like, I need to go kill these people because my something told me to. <laughs> <laughs> and well, yeah, uh, it's, it's his job, and to him it's just like, yeah, this is... But, personal. but occasionally people debate with him the whole thing, and he goes like, "All right, maybe you're like, you're right. Let me flip the coin, and you call it." Right, because it's randomness. He's a force of random death. Um, the 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 fickleness of death. Uh, one of the scenes I really like, because I think this movie is making an argument of like, think of like a death so callous that like there's nothing you can do about it. And it doesn't matter who you are. All that matters is that you stepped in front of this truck at the wrong time. You were just there. And we get the scene with the guy uh, helping him jumpstart his car with the chickens in the crate. Yeah. And that that guy is like the chillest dude. He's the nicest, nicest guy. You just want to give this guy a hug. And it doesn't matter. He kills him too. Right, because he has to truck. get to El Paso. Yeah. And it, and it doesn't matter at that point. He doesn't even get the option. He's just like, yo, dude. Uh, can you unload those chicken crates? Yeah. Well, that I don't understand. So it's saying, like, death, you can't bargain with it. You can't avoid death because you're really nice or because you have money. Like, you know, the, even the uh, the big executive who's paying for the mission gets it. Played by Stephen Root. Yeah. I mean, like, the idea that it's coming for you. They have that whole uh, exchange where he's saying to the lady, she's like, um, well, what are, you, what are you looking for? He's like, what's coming? And she's just like, what comes comes or something like that. Yeah, and it gets echoed in my favorite scene, which is like the third to last scene of the movie with the uncle and his final wisdom to Ed Tom, who's like being very self-pitying. And he's like, yeah, no, I just, I've, I suck. Like, God probably hates me. He's like, okay, listen, like. No way to know what God knows. You can't stop what's coming. His line, I'll just say it because I love the line. It's like, you can't stop what's coming. It ain't all waiting on you. That's, That's vanity. vanity. It's like, look, this all sucks, but it's 
got nothing to do with you. Like the whatever these forces are that create uh, evil and death. Um, at a certain point, if there's any positive lesson to this, I guess it's to to not let yourself get sucked down with it, which is I think what Ed Tom is fighting. It's like, well, my whole worldview is tied to this this rock that's sinking into the ocean. Um, yeah, that that me the the white light. You know, he's often framed in the light where Anton Chigurh is often framed in the dark. Right. Me, the white, like, savior. <laughs> Not in that way, but, I mean, you know, white versus black, good versus evil. Me, the savior, can stop this, m- make this stuff go onward and this and that, you know. Uh, indeed. That's his, that's his whole world worldview. Because in the older world, you could, but... Everything is moving so fast. Everything's changing so quickly that mm, now you can't. Now let me think here. I'm gonna give my performance ranking in a few minutes. Oh, performance ranking. That's right. A few minutes. No, we gotta do it now. We're almost done. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe I just. <laughs> I'll have to be disrespectful then, and in some cases, not give people's names, because <laughs> I don't know who they are. Wow. Sorry. That was me unplugging this thing so I could hand okay. you the laptop. Here, take oh, it quick. Thank you, thank you. Okay, I'll just do a top seven. Because I think this movie is splendidly acted. Um, and it is very much an ensemble. Like we were talking about with uh, Eight Men Out, it's a movie where I think really it excels with a lot of its like small one-scene parts. Even just that guy who gets the line where he's like, yeah, I bet you don't get a lot of people coming into your clothing store without pants. Like, <laughs> no, sir. It's unusual. Yes. That's, that's one moment of comedy we get in the thing. Okay, bringing it up. All right, well, I know the name of this person. I give the seventh best performance of this movie to... Oh, whoa, what's going on? Hold on playing music. Uh, it's trying good to get me to watch Long Way Up with you and McGregor. I hear that's kind of good. Yeah, good thing we didn't leave that plugged in. That would be blowing everybody else's eardrums out now. Uh, yeah. Okay, so I give I give number seven to Kelly McDonald who is just as strong. I like her performance. Yeah. Oh, no. Uh, that's She makes the list. Um <laughs> I, I think she's strong well, throughout. I'm sorry, but that's a that's a bit of a, a poor conciliation to me. I'm not going to accept number seven. I'm not going to well, call it. Well, I was it. doing her character from Boardwalk Empire. Oh, well, I, I haven't seen it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, she does a really nice job, and then I think she kills her final scene. Because uh, that's like... So, you know, this is a, 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 a chance to get something else in about this movie, is... What Ed Tom's feeling is basically there's no romance in death. There's no dignity in death. Like, I can't think of, you know, as I've said, any redemptive aspect to this. And that is his tragedy. I think McDonald gets the one way to kind of have dignity in death, which is to somehow not let it consume you. She knows she's going to die. And what's so great about that scene is she sits down and she owns that conversation. She's just like, okay, I know what's happening. I mean, 
And but she gets killed, so she, she doesn't does. really own the conversation. Well, I think that's the movie saying, like, this is the best you can do. Try to just maintain yourself because um, these are forces out of your control. And, you know, it maintains some semblance of autonomy and dignity in the face of, of what will one day come for us all. Um, I suppose you're right. Okay, number six. I don't plan on dying. I don't. I don't know how to. That you know, it's a fool's game to die. Don't do it. Exactly. Don't do it. Don't play a bad game. Cut it out. No, don't do it. Okay, number six, Mr. Woody Harrelson, who I think uh, does a terrific job. Also, a really great memorable death scene. I I love his final scene with Chigurh, uh, in the hotel room. You okay. <laughs> yeah, I had to burp. Um, yeah, really strong work. Okay, number five. Uh, I can't believe I'm putting him this low, but I'm going to go Josh Brolin, who I think is fantastic in this. And, it, you know, it's kind of, it's not an action movie so much, but it is kind of an action star performance. He's mostly doing things silently. I love the attention to process of him just constructing the invention with the pole because his thing is, he's a hunter, right? Uh, or that's at least what he does well, in his off time. and a Vietnam vet. He's a Vietnam vet. Um, he's used to tracking things, and he's very good at thinking of process. And I just love the movie's attention to like every little detail of what he needs to do to survive, just to make it a step further. Um, yeah, fantastic performance. But I love character actors, so I give fourth best performance in the movie... And I haven't found his name yet. I'm so sorry. But the man in the gas station. Uh, the coin toss. The first coin toss scene. Hmm. Uh, and I think he's fantastic in that. Because um, this movie... Friendo. Friendo. Th- I think what this movie's about and... Ca- oh, <laughs> it's about everything. Um, but another thing that it's about is... Think of that scene where Shiger's checking his shoes... And the movie knows that the idea that Carla Jean has died is painful for us. And it's giving us enough ambiguity that it doesn't make it any less painful. It's just being like, look, the clues are here in plain sight. Do with them as you will. And I think that's what's happening to this guy in the gas station scene. Is Shigur is like, you know what's up, dude. I'm going to maybe kill you. And, like, you won't accept that. You're just talking around it. I think he just probably figured he was going to rob him. Uh... I don't know, though. He's bringing such, like, menacing energy to that. <laughs> what? What? What's going on? <laughs> but so great. Uh, number three, another character actor, uh, the uncle in my favorite scene. His name is Ellis. And Rob, I don't know if you know, he's played by the general or the major from uh, Northern Exposure. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And his name, I have it in front of me, Maurice. is Barry Corbin. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. I love that scene. Number two, I thought I might even put him at number one, but number two, Tommy Lee Jones. Who, yeah, uh, I like Tommy Lee Jones in this. Yeah, I think this is, for He's me... He's a badass. And you know what? No is. one's uh, ever come up and been like, Tommy Lee Jones was, was bad to me or something. That's good. So we get to see much more Tommy Lee Jones. That's good. I mean, he, he is known to be grumpy, but the grumpy stories are awesome. Well, I, I think it was always just crazy. <laughs> like, he's known to be crazy, I, I think, uh, along the lines of a Richard Dreyfuss or something like that. Yeah, intense. 
I, I remember Jim Carrey going like, how is it working with Tommy Lee Jones? He's crazy, isn't he, man? He's crazy. <laughs> Wait, I do you know the Tommy Lee Jones story? No. With, on Batman? No. Okay, this is this is the greatest story ever. Is um, Jim, you know, they're both playing the villains. Jim's playing the Riddler. Tommy Lee Jones is playing Two-Face. And Jim's noticing that Tommy's not being very friendly. He's kind of avoiding him. He's being standoffish. And so he walks up to him. He's like, hey, Tom, uh... Is everything okay? Do you not like me? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> and Tommy just looks at him and he says, Sir, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. <laughs> <laughs> and in fairness, Jim Carrey completely takes over that movie. <laughs> so he was not wrong. <laughs> okay. Enigma. Edward Enigma. <laughs> Let's go to the pitch. He pitches the bomb. Uh, okay, and number one is Bardem. I was going to get cute and put him at second just to be like, you know, Jones doesn't get enough love for this, and he doesn't. I think it's the best performance of his career, and I think that opening monologue is absolutely killer. But Shigur is Shigur. That performance uh, is incredible. And he's doing more than people remember, I feel like. Um, I really love the scene where he's like momentarily vulnerable, just the long, again, very process-obsessed scene of him nursing himself back to health. And it's like, the one thing you don't want, you're like, no, you don't want this guy to get better. Like, he's terrible. But at the same time, I feel like something in the human being in I you... I have no problem with getting better. <laughs> I want a, to get better. It's not a problem. It's not a problem. I get a blow-up car, create diversion, get drugs, make better. <laughs> <laughs> you turn Russian all the time. Body, body, you get <laughs> drugs, no problem. But no, it, I think that scene to me is kind of complex because um, you can't help but see a wounded person and like want them not to be all like disgustingly disfigured, which is the one of two times he gets completely fucked up in this movie. Yeah, um, the uh, the other ones in the car accident at the end where he just fashions his sling and says, "You didn't see me. I was already gone." It's like, it's like classic Coen's to kind of, like, turn the knife of, like, human beings being awful, but also human beings having, you know, things like empathy and sympathy. is like they know that we're seeing these awful wounds, and even though it's Shigur, uh, we can't help but be like, oh, God, <laughs> oh, that must hurt so much. Um, so, yeah, Bartem's just great in this. So he's got, the, he's got the number one slot. I know that's not an exciting take, but... He just does so much. Yeah, you you actually really do believe he's kind of a, a a crazy guy. And yet, like, also kind of like perfectly boring in his way, where he's like, "This is my job. I want. I must kill you." And his main principle just seems to be like the coin thing. So it's like, without malice, well, if he doesn't you, always do it. He doesn't always do Sometimes it. Sometimes it's just no. It's necessary to kill this person to get their car. Yeah, and they're going. It's randomness. It's like, if you happen to be there, um, he doesn't like that. So it's like, okay, like he's not going to stop for you. His, his path is at that money. If you happen to be in the A to B line between Shigur and the money he's trying to get, you die. That's that, it. Is, that is a problem for you. And he's, he's very consistent about that. Indeed. So what are we doing next week? Next week. Uh, let me throw Stuck on You back into the mix. What's that again? I forget. You've explained it before, but... Uh, okay, Stuck on You is a Fairly Brothers comedy 
starring Matt Damon and Greg Kinnear. Uh, they're conjoined twins. And, oh, uh, right. Yes, I, I remember that. Uh, yeah, that might be fun to do. Um, I was thinking about Nightcrawler. Uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Okay. But I, I might be suggesting too many things in the same decade as of late. Um, but right. yeah, okay, I'll put up Nightcrawler. You got stuck on you. Yeah. What else? Hmm, let's see. Uh, okay, I'll put in Nashville. I don't want to watch Nashville again. <laughs> oh, have you seen it already? Yeah, I watched it with you like three years ago. Uh, but you only came in at the end. Um, no, I saw the whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Nashville's in there. Um, yeah, it's in there. All right. How about MASH? Uh, how about MASH? All right. Uh, that's an Altman, too, right? Uh, that is an Altman. Both Nashville and MASH are Altmans. Correct. Okay, maybe we'll get some Altman in there. Like like the Long Goodbye, which we did early on in the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Altman's Long Goodbye. Episode 7 or something like that? Um, yes. Something like that. Um... Okay, well, I'll put up Stuck on You. Okay, and I'll put up, let's see, you said MASH, and what was the other one? Well, you put up uh, Nashville, and then the other one I put up was uh, Nightcrawler. Okay. Another 07 movie, right? It it seems only sporting to to select one of yours. I'm going to go MASH. Oh, shit, I wish you went with Nightcrawler. Uh, You know what? I'll support Nightcrawler. <laughs> oh, well, then I want to do Stuck on You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I have the choice of, of either... All right, do you want me to do Nightcrawler and you do Stuck on You? That seems no, like where I'll this is all No, I'll do Stuck headed. on You, you do MASH. We'll stick with the initial uh, thing. Okay. <laughs> Are you confu- confused yet, listener? Because we were trying to do that. That's the whole point of this particular thing is that it should be seemingly nonsensical how we pick the next movie we'll tell it's you what it is it's a kangaroo court alright ready one wait two even oh yeah. what are you would you like ones or twos I am going to do odd you're odd so you would like ones alright yeah. I know how to do this one two three shoot damn it even I thought you said you were going to put up a ones <laughs> um wait so oh so you won so I won. No, um, you said odds, and it was and evens. it was evens. So you won. Oh, sweet! But stuck on you was your choice. <laughs> All right, stuck on you it is. That's what we'll do next week. All right, knocking down that pin. Okay, anything else you'd like to say before it's time to ribbity ribbity wrap it up? I don't know. We we didn't really shout out any uh, personal connections on this one, did we? No, but I also haven't put any in the. The notes as of late. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> who, did, who did you see this movie with? My dad and by myself. Okay. Three, two, one, Dan Whiting theme song. Carnivorous <laughs> <laughs> couch. Shit happens once a week. It swallows us for two hours when we try to sleep. It forces us to watch a film about which we then speak. Carnivorous Couch With Brady and Rob I've tried dating myself. I We didn't click. 